Happy Wednesday morning to you all and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host Larry Frank and wow do we have a terrific day in store for you. It starts off in a couple of minutes with the great Bradley Lewis Walker, the host of the Sunshine State Sports Jammer and the host of the Walker Report. He'll be joining us live to discuss some Tampa sports and also some of the major announcements that went on yesterday in the sports world. Then he would be followed by Ty Richardson, who is the program director and host of the morning show here on ESPN Arkansas. So two terrific individuals going to be live on our show today. Then tonight, don't forget our special live presentation on the Facebook group page, Frankly Speaking Sports. Jiho Yu, who covers Korean baseball, will be joining us live. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Central, and 6 p.m. Pacific. So that is an event you do not want to miss. Once again, that is a live interview going on on Facebook at 9 p.m. Um, yesterday in the world of sports, it started out with the NHL um, actually saying that they have set a return to play action that would consist of 24 teams battling it out to see who wins the Stanley Cup, and it would be hosted at two hub cities, which have yet to be announced. I want to go ahead and break down this return-to-play plan for you while we have a couple of minutes. Um, it says the, two, the regular season is declared concluded. So it's completely over. Um, the 189 games originally scheduled from March 12th to April 4th will not be played. Once again, they have been canceled. When the season starts, 24 teams will resume play. The top 12 in each conference on the basis of point percentage at the pause. So basically through games of Mar to March 11th. If you're a Lightning fan, what that means, I know we have a lot of Tampa Bay Lightning fans. You are second in your division um, based on points. And we'll go over that in a minute, but you would get a bye in the first round. Now, the timeline is since the league's pause on March 12th, it has been in what they call Phase 1. Basically, players have been told to self-isolate as much as possible. Now, beginning in early June, which is about a week away, Phase 2 will begin. It is expected that teams will be permitted to return to their home facilities for small groups, voluntary and on and off ice training. Okay, phase three would be the next step, which would not be any earlier than the first half of July. Okay, and that's based on the guidance from medical and civil authorities. Then phase four will be determined. When we finally get to phase four, 24 teams in two hub cities will compete in seeding round robins, a qualifying round, and conference-based Stanley Cup playoffs. 
The two hub cities will be selected by between the following. So if you want to know what cities are up out of all the ones I'm about to name, I believe there's 10 of them or 12 of them, only two of them will be cities that you're playing. The options are Chicago, Illinois, Columbus, Ohio, Dallas, Texas, Edmonton, Alberta, Las Vegas, Nevada, Los Angeles, California, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Toronto, Ontario, and Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you probably can knock out the three or four Canadian teams unless the restrictions in Canada are lifted. Right now, they do not meet what the American um, restrictions are. So in order for this to work, they have to allow it because I believe if you go to Canada, then you have a 14-day quarantine, and that will be impossible for the NHL to do um, going into Canada. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Now, each conference will be assigned a hub with secure hotels, arena, practice facilities, and in-market transportations. The teams will be limited to 50 personnel in the hub city with only a small number of support staff. Timing and sites obviously would be determined. Now, basically the winners from the qualifying round play the top four seeds in the first round individual first round series matchups remain to be determined. Now, based on the rankings, the Boston Bruins would be number one in City 1. The Tampa Bay Lightning would be two. Then you got the Capitals and the Flyers. Okay, so those would be number one. Then in city number two, I believe there's a ah, there's a couple of different cities here. It looks like the Blues, the Avalanche, the Knights, and the Dallas Stars. So anyway, they would play, and then there's rules on the draws, who gets a bye, and so on and so on. So still a little bit yet to figure out there. But it looks like the NHL will be back in action come sometime in July. Now, Major League Baseball is a whole nother mess. You know, yesterday Major League Baseball came out with what they say is a proposal for players. And it breaks down basically, basically the way this plan works is if you're one of the higher paid players in the Major League's you're going to get the deepest cut. It's made to help support uh, the players that are not making a lot of money. So if you're a player that's making the minimum or just over the minimum, this really helps you out because your cut is only like 15%. Whereas you get a player like um, a Bryce Harper who is currently making $26 million um, a year, He's going to get the steepest cut. And I believe right here I have it. I'm arrowing down to it. Um, any player, he would actually go from $26 million this year to $6 million. So a huge, huge cut for a player like Bryce Hopper, a player that's making over a million dollars. Now, you have to remember, Major League Baseball, 65% of the players are making under a million dollars. 
So they're trying to help those players out. But if you're a player like the Bryce Harpers or, you know, even the Blake Snell's making $7 million a year, um, you know, a $10 million player is still going to only make $3 million. But, you know, it's a tough situation. And I'm torn. Because I understand the owners and I understand those high-paid players. Those high-paid players signed a contract. They expect to make their contract. But, you know, after all, this season has been interrupted by the coronavirus. So simple matter would say, in just simple terms, well, if they're playing half the season, just pay everybody half their contracts. But it's not so easy. You have to understand from the owner's standpoint as well. There are no fans in the stands, and there are no concessions, and there is no parking. So there is no money being made during these games except for maybe advertising dollars or promotional or whatever. But they are losing up to $3 million per game when they don't have fans in the stands. And people go, come on, $3 million? Well, let's think of it logically. If you go ahead as the average attendance at a Major League Baseball game last year was 28,000. Now, obviously, if you're in Florida area, you did not get that many fans. But if you're in other areas like Chicago or Los Angeles or Boston, you got a lot more fans. So the average was 28,000, and they say the average ticket is $33. So if you go ahead and multiply out, that's 914 $1,000, just about a million dollars in just gate revenue alone. And then you weigh in $77, probably, you know, per people going to the game. You spend about, they said the average person spends about $77 at a game. I don't know, but it sounds about right to me. So now you're looking at another $2 million in just food alone or beer, or whatever they sell, Cracker Jack, um, they lose that money. So it's $3 million a year. So now you're going to have 82 more games times how many teams, uh, you know, now each of those teams play 42 home games. I know that. But so if you go 42 home games per team times, uh, what, 30, 32 teams? That's a lot of money you're losing. So they got to find a way to recoup some of that money. So what they're saying is if we take, we don't want to screw the players, the lower paid players. So what we got to do is take from the higher paid players and the higher paid players don't like that. And I understand, you know, you get somebody like a Bryce Hopper who has not been vocal yet about it. I'm just using his name as an example. But you take somebody making that big money, like $26 million, and now you tell them your pay is being cut down to $7 million, that's a big, a big, big, that's a $19 million cut. But at the same time, you know, I look at that and I go, okay, you're going to be playing July, August, September. This does not include bonuses in the playoffs. So if you make the playoffs, you still have that left. This is just counting the months playing regular season baseball. Three months of baseball, $7 million a year. So you're, you're I'm sorry, $3 million. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going off here. 
$7 million you're going to make in three months. Okay, you're making over $2 million a month to play baseball. And you're complaining. Now, this is a one-time thing. They're not taking your contract and, you know, uh, taking it all away from you. Now, some people say, why can't they defer the money to later years down the contract? I'm sure they can do that, and I'm sure something will be worked out. But when it comes to you making $2 million a month and you're still complaining, even the lowest paid player in the league through this proposal is still going to make $80,000 a month. Now, we do have lifestyles. We do live the lifestyle that, you know, that is presented to us by based on the money we make. So I do understand some of the issues here, but, you know, it's a one-time thing. So, you know, I, I don't know which way to lean here because I understand both. And I think the way they'll probably end up going is some of these higher-paid athletes will be deferred some of that money later on. I think that's what the Players Association is going to ask for. But, you know, you take a picture. Let's say, I'm, I don't know what these pictures make. I'm just throwing a name out. Let's say Charlie Morton. Morton. Charlie Morton, I think, makes about $15 million a year for the Tampa Bay Rays. So based on this proposal, he would probably make about... $4 million, okay, about $4 million he will make this year pitching for three months. Now, he's only going to pitch 10 to 12 games. He's not going to be extended out much, but let's just say he pitches 12 games, okay? He's still going to make roughly three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars every game he pitches, just to go out there, which is probably going to be five or six innings. Okay, one out of every five days, and he's going to be making four hundred thousand dollars every game he pitches, and they're still complaining. Now, once again. You signed a $15 million contract. That's what you expect. You're only going to make $4 million. I understand. So like I said, I'm torn between both of this. And when we get Bradley Lewis Walker on in a few minutes, we'll probably talk to him about that and see what he thinks about the Major League Players proposal and what we should expect. We'll be back right after this accomplish you want to make it happen the way to get there is not really thinking all of a sudden about the major goal have mini goals have little goals attack those on a regular basis and ultimately it will lead to success in getting the major goal achieved so many people want to get there immediately they want to run that sprint many times it's a marathon my friends and you got to work at it and work at it and work at it so get those little mini goals make them happen little by little and then ultimately you'll stand there tall and the big one will be a success welcome back to frankly speaking sports just want to remind you we are minutes away from having Bradley Lewis Walker the host of Sunshine State Sports Jabber and the Walker Report 
joining us live. We do want to remind you all, tonight we have a very special treat for you. We have a live presentation of Frankly Speaking Sports interviews going on on our Facebook page, Frankly Speaking Sports. If you are not a member, go ahead and become a member. And we will uh, accept your invitation, and you'll be able to listen to our interview with Jiho Yu, who covers the Korean baseball organization in South Korea. Once again, that's 9 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Also, reminder that um, if you want to continue to follow all our interviews, past, present, future, whatever, they're on YouTube channel. Frankly Speaking Sports, ask to go ahead and subscribe to it. It is free. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you the host of Sunshine State Sports Chamber and host of the Walker Report, Bradley Lewis Walker. Bradley, how you doing today? Good, good. Bradley, um, you know, yesterday it came down, and I'm not sure how much time, I know you do shows and stuff, uh, you had to look into it, but the NHL uh, announced a return-to-play uh, action plan. Uh, what was your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, for all us hockey fans out there, I think it's a good thing. Obviously, the NHL is going to go through the extensive testing that the NBA and MLB will also be going through. And, of course, as we all know, too, the NCAA and NFL will be doing later on this year. Um, the only, I mean, the funny thing is, being that I'm from the Tampa Bay area and that I'm a huge Tampa Bay Lightning fan, we were one of the two teams that voted against it. Um, according to what I read and what I had mentioned on my show last night, Alex Cohorn mentioned the reason that they voted against it is because they felt that it was unfair that some of the teams that were currently out of the playoff picture are now back in, meaning that if a team that deserves to be in the playoffs gets knocked out, now the teams that don't deserve there are now going to get a shot at the Stanley Cup, which they wouldn't have if the NHL had stuck to their current 16-team playoff format. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can understand that. You know, you play a whole season so you can seed yourself properly in the playoffs and then they allow teams that shouldn't. So I do understand that. Now, it looks like Tampa Bay would be in one of the, you know, they break down the cities. There's going to be two hubs that it look like, two hub cities they're going to play on. And Tampa Bay would be actually rated number two in their city league. They call it City 1, City 2. Um, right behind the Boston Bruins. So I think they would get a buy the way it works out. I'm not sure, you know, there's still a lot of details. But being a Tampa Bay Lightning fan and someone who follows the Lightning like you do, um, some of this could be, I don't want to say a blessing in disguise because this epidemic has been terrible and affected a lot of people. But from the standpoint of the Lightning you know, it was only a couple of weeks before we had this epidemic come down and cancel the season that uh, Steven Stamkos got hurt and looked like he was going to be out for the beginning of the playoffs. And what are you hearing now that, you know, he had that uh, 
lower body injury was supposed to be out six to eight weeks. So am I right by saying if they do start up in July, that Stamkos would be playing? He would be very correct. He would be ready to go. Uh, Larry, I have heard that he was one of the few skaters that took advantage of when they opened up uh, Amelie Arena to be skating. Actually, I heard yesterday locally here on Tampa Sports Radio that he would be one of the best conditioned skaters ready to go. And like you said, that's kind of weird to say that when just right before the uh, COVID-19 started or hit here, hit here in the U.S., that he was hurt and wasn't supposed to be even – they were bridging to him to come back in the second round of the playoffs. And now if the playoffs begin in July, he will be ready to go in the first round. So that will be – it is kind of a blessing in disguise for the Lightning to have their captain back. Now, how now? I don't know the answer, and I don't know if you do, but from a there's difference between being in shape and being in game shape. How how long does do you think it takes an actual player in the NHL to get back into game shape before they can get out there and compete? Well, Larry, I heard a couple of us about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, Ryan McDonough came on and said that it only takes them about two weeks to get back into game shape. Um, so they don't need very long. Um, I know that the NHL did say that they are going to, you know, exclude the rest of the regular season. So what, if they do start up in July, it will be the playoffs right away. Um, but he said it only takes them about two weeks to get ready to go. Wow. So have to see, you know, I, I'm sure that for some of the younger guys, it'll be less time. The veteran guys will, I mean, I'm sure will love this. They've been able to heal a little bit and get ready for the playoffs, you know, get ready for the playoffs. But I would say two weeks. Okay. We're talking to Bradley Lewis Walker. He's the host of Sunshine State Sports Jabber and the Walker Report. Um, Bradley, I once again, I know you had a show last night, but Major League Baseball came out with, what some people will call a crazy proposal. Other people would say they think it's a pretty fair proposal. And in just a nutshell, basically their um, revenue plan, well, they did away with the revenue plan, but they're talking about higher cuts on players who make more money and lower cuts on those individuals, let's say making under a million dollars. Um, have you had much time to review that? You know, Larry, I have not actually. Right before you called me, I actually was preparing my notes for my, my the walk report tomorrow, and I haven't got a chance to read over what it said. I did catch, you know, some tidbits here and there. I have heard that the players that obviously make millions of dollars are complaining that they're going to take a pay cut. Obviously, you know, being down here, we heard Blake Snell complain a couple weeks ago that he is not taking a risk, that he's only going to make $7 million a year instead of $10 million a year, but then there's 30 million people in the United States that don't right. have a job right now. I really don't think you want to be talking about money. I really think, honestly, I am sick and tired of hearing billionaires and millionaires fighting over money in the MLB. And Larry, you know, I hate to say this, but this might lead to another work stoppage in Major League Baseball, which that league does not need. What happened in 1994 was horrible for the sport. And if they go through another work stoppage, I don't know how the league will recover in, yeah. all, in all reality. And I agree with you. I know we think the same on this. And basically, just so what, um, and I just went over this before I had you on the show. 
they're doing exactly what you said. You're higher tier players, let's say like a Cole Hamels or Bryce Harper, who's making $25, $30 million a year. They would get paid, based on this, $9 million to play baseball for three months, which is still $3 million, I'm sorry, a million dollars a month to play the game, whereas the lower tier, 65% of the players in Major League Baseball right now make under a million dollars. So what they're going to do is those folks that make under a million dollars, they're only going to cut them by 15% because they want them to still have their livelihood, which makes sense. Now, I understand the players sign a contract, but this is unique times, and I'm with you. I'm tired of hearing billionaires and millionaires fight. But also on the owner's perspective, you know, if you and I are doing simple math, we go, okay, they're playing half a season, 81 games. Let's just cut it down the middle and pay them their contracts. But it's not that easy because what people don't realize is there's no fans in the stands. And we figured this formula out before you got on where each home game that does not have fans in it. The average attendance last year in Major League Baseball, now not in Tampa, but this is throughout the United States, is 28000 a game. Obviously in Tampa, that's a little bit less. But on the average, a team loses up to $3 million a game when they don't have fans. That's the ticket prices and the concessions. Ticket prices are $33 average, depending where you go. And the average person, they say, spends about $75 to $80 at a ball game, which sounds right. I've been to a ball game. So I'm trying to understand this from both sides. And I don't, and I'm not, believe me, I've already stuck up for the players and said, you know, this and that. But I think as a fan, and I know you agree with me, is you start getting nauseated. When I start hearing hockey's coming back, NBA's coming back, and then you hear baseball's fighting, I basically, and I'm a huge baseball fan, Bradley, I'm basically saying, screw you, baseball. I got these other sports to watch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, I feel, I feel mm-hmm. the same way. I mean, again, growing up, I, you know, I, I've been a baseball fan for a long time. And yes, I grew up, actually was born in the hospital directly across the street from Tropicana Field. But I would belong before the Rays were, you know, in the league. I was a Red Sox fan. I will always be a Red Sox fan. Um, and, you know, to me, it's nice to be able to see the Red Sox here at Tropicana Field because, again, as you said, you know, the average ticket around Major League Baseball is 33 bucks. Um, here in Tampa, you can get a ticket for as cheap as $12. So I understand where the owners are coming from as far as them losing revenue from from concessions and from ticket sales. And you're right. It would be nice if they could just cut it right down the middle and say, okay, we're going to pay you half your salary. But the problem with Major League Baseball is they have the, one of the most powerful unions in, 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 in everywhere. The MLBPA is one of the most powerful unions, and they don't budge in anything. They don't budge. They're not. They're not going to give up anything for their players, which is a good thing. If you're in Major League Baseball as a player, that's great that you have a union that can support you. You know, you're not going to lose your job. But what's going to end up happening is if they continue to do this stuff, it's going to end up causing them to do a work stoppage. They're all going to lose money anyway. 
Absolutely. So they, they need to come to some kind of agreement. Now, let me ask yeah. you this. You follow baseball, and obviously, um, you know, you mentioned the Red Sox, and, you know, I, it seems to me, and tell me your opinion on this, before we started the season, I mean, why we were in spring training, all the talk was around the Houston Astros and the cheating scandal. Um, everybody, they were talking about which players are going to get hit, which ones are going to get in brawls, this and that. They better protect the players. And now, since this epidemic, you obviously, you haven't heard anything about it. When play resumes, do you think that people are going to be more forgiven now? Or do you think it's going to come back to haunt them again? going on now, I really think that they might end up getting very, very lucky and it will be forgiven. I still, to this, I mean, I know before when spring training first started, uh, actually Las Vegas had a bet to see how many times the Astros players were going to get hit this year. Um, and, you know, the Red Sox, I mean, Rob Manfred, really, to me, I wrote an article for IROC Media about this, or for NGSC, excuse me. Um, that they, you know, he should be fired, you know, because of the way that he has obviously let the Astros and the Red Sox get away with cheating. And again, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I'm going to come out and say they did cheat and they deserve to be punished. And and that's the way it is. And you know, it's un, you know, it's really weird that none of the players got in trouble, but they fired the manager, fired the general manager, they got rid of both of them, and then they're going to be suspended for, you know, draft picks or whatever, will it be forgotten? I don't know. I think there's still a lot of baseball fans out there that want to see both the Astros and Red Sox be punished for what Manfred did not do to them. So I would not be surprised if you see a lot of people throw at the Astros, especially Houston, being for what they did with the technology that they used to cheat. So I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine them forgetting about it. But then again, if like you were just mentioned earlier, if with baseball, or sorry, with hockey and the NBA coming back, and with these guys fighting over money, a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I'm done with baseball. I'll wait till the next season, and then I'll just watch the NBA and NHL for the rest of this year until football starts in August and September. You know, absolutely, and I want to bring something up with you, and I we might have talked about this previously, but this Hall of Fame. Baseball Hall of Fame specifically. Mm-hmm. I understand when people say, should this person or that person or that person be in the Hall of Fame? But, and I want to ask you your opinion on this because someone, I don't think anyone probably ever asked you this. A player, let's say, example, does PD. They get suspended 50 games. If they're allowed to come back in the game 50 games later and play the game and make money for Major League Baseball, shouldn't what they do from that point on after they were suspended to the time they retire be considered for the Hall of Fame? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it seems to me like baseball likes to make money off people. And I use Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. You You brought it up 1994. If it wasn't for those two guys coming back and going ahead and going through the probably the greatest summer I ever seen in Major League Baseball, those two going at it for the home run title and breaking Maris's record. I mean, that's what brought baseball back after that. And 
it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense how baseball can say, okay, Barry Bonds. Well, you knew Barry Bonds did PEDs, okay, or um, you implemented him as doing it, but you still let him play the game. So if you still let him play the game, shouldn't he be allowed to make the Hall of Fame? If you didn't want him to make the Hall of Fame, why did you continue to make money off this guy and let him play? Okay, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because, you know, it's been a big debate of ours around here. Who should be in the Hall of Fame? And, you know, the question always comes up about Pete Rose. I mean, are you a believer that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I, I just, you know, only unfortunate part is, and I think me and you discussed this on my show, I have a funny feeling, unfortunately, to say this, that they will not put him in the Hall of Fame until he dies. I agree. And they're not going to have to hear his induction speech, which is a shame. Because the guy leads the league in, for most hits. He has the most hits of any player that's ever come to the plate. But yet, because of what he did off the field, and he admitted that he did it, he admitted that he never bet on the Reds. So why is it he's still being punished? But then again, you know, Larry, when it comes to that, you were just talking about PEDs. Will we see Sosa, McGuire, and Bonds in the, in the Hall of Fame? If we do, it's going to be one of those asterisk things where they're going to have their own little, like, steroid era, you know, wing of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. I don't really know if we'll ever see those guys in there either, or Roger Clemens or anything like that. I don't really know. That's going to be an interesting question moving forward. And, you know, those guys you just mentioned, Roger Clemens, arguably the best pitcher, probably while you and I have been born, you know, Pedro Martinez obviously right up there with him. But um, it's just a shame that these guys can perform so well in what they do on the field isn't recognized. And, you know, the idea of the Hall of Fame, to me, isn't to go ahead and celebrate somebody's career after they pass away. It's to do it while they're still alive. And exactly. it's just not fair to Pete Rose. Now, before I let you go, Bradley, um, we've been talking a lot of college sports coming up here um, in the near future. It's only about a week away where a lot of these campuses... Um, I know at least here in the University of Arkansas, where I'm at now, um, they're opening up for the student-athletes. They're allowing them to work out. And a lot of the schools here on the SEC West side, and I'm watching the East too because I followed the Gators, obviously, when I was down there. They're saying they plan on going on with athletics as planned. Uh, what's wh I haven't heard about the state of Florida as much since I've been left. What are you hearing about the Gators and Tallahassee, USF, Miami? Are they planning on going on as scheduled? As far as I know, Larry, and I read something last night about the SEC, the only team that I've heard in the SEC that is not quite sure if they're coming back on is Vanderbilt. I don't know what the state of Tennessee is as far as where what they're you know where they're at as far as their COVID nineteen you know opening things back up and stuff like that. Um, as far as I know, I don't I haven't heard anything from the AAC where the U you know UCF and USF both play the Bulls and the Knights. And then as far as the ACC goes, or Miami and Florida State, I don't I haven't heard anything. I was actually going to do some research uh, and find out you know going into my Sunshine State Sports Driver Show next Monday night, I was going to look into some research about those two because as far as I know, the Gators were still planning on, you know, coming 
and playing. I don't know if there's going to be any fans, which I know the NCAA would lose like $3 billion if there are no fans in the stands this year in August and September. So I don't really know. I do know that USF opens on the road in Arlington against the Texas Longhorns. I think that's where Texas is at. I'm not sure. I got that incorrect. I apologize. But I do know USF starts on the road, and I'm hoping to be uh, – I've been a press credential member for USF the last two seasons. If there is no press members this year, the funny thing is my next USF game then will be Saturday, September 11th, 2021, as USF hosts the Florida Gators at Raymond James Stadium. <laughs> that will be pretty cool because I have my two favorite college football teams playing each other in Tampa. So if that ends up being that way, then I, that's a win-win situation for me. I said that was, that was going to be the last question, but I have to ask you this before I let you leave. I know you're a big University of South Florida fan, and you know their schedule was pretty decent this year. I don't know if it was this year that Alabama was on the schedule or not. Next year. Next, next year. year okay, because I know they signed a contract with them to play them. But before I let you go for our Tampa listeners, what is your expectation for the USF football team this year? Well, I've looked at the schedule according to uh, some of the brass at ESPN. They have the second hardest schedule in the country compared to the teams that they're going to play. Now, again, they're not playing Alabama and Auburn and Michigan and Michigan State, Ohio State. I'm not, you know, they don't play any of those big teams. The biggest team on the schedule this year is Texas. They have to go again. They have to play in Texas this year. That's one of the teams that they sign one of those two-for-one deals where they go there twice and the team comes here once or vice versa. Um, I have, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I don't see USF winning any more than, I'd say, five games this year. I think they go five and seven in Jeff Scott's first year. I think Scott, though, gets the, gets the team moving in the right direction, and they end up going next year and winning, you know, nine, ten games next year and being in a major bowl game. Will they be fighting for a national championship? No because the AAC is not a power power conference. So until they move out of the AAC into a power conference, one of the power fives, they will never battle for a national championship. I know UCF says they're the national champions. They never played Alabama to do that. So they, you know, they need to just hush a little bit. But I mean, yes, I, I, I mean, you USF may win five, six, seven games this year. It's, it's a tough schedule. We'll see. Maybe they'll surprise everybody and have a winning season. I sure hope for Jeff Scott that he turns this around because it's been, it was pretty bad under Charlie Strong last year to end it all last season. Now, as we let you go, why don't you uh, tell our listeners about how, um, where to go and how to watch both the shows that you do and when, when they're on. That way they, they want to go ahead and uh, listen to your show. They know exactly where to go. Sunshine State Sports Shepherd, guys, is on at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're listening here in Alabama or in Arkansas, it will be 7 p.m. because you guys are an hour behind me on the being in the Central Time. Um, basically, that show is all about Florida sports. I talk just about the Florida you know, teams in the state of Florida, any events like the Daytona 500 or the match, the golf tournament that was just here last weekend. Um, stuff like that. Um, that show, you can um, hop on the Zoom app. That is through the Stables Network, our Mancini Sports Network. You can find those both on Facebook 
or follow me, one or the other. My Twitter handle is BradWalker3083. You can follow me there. And my other show is on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that's the Walker Report. That is a nation. That is, we talk about sports all over the planet Earth. I mean, I will go talk about events that are happening, you know, overseas and in the United States. But those, and that that show, you can call in. Uh, there's there's phone numbers to call in. Um, let me get those numbers for you guys. Hang on just a second. I will share both shows numbers real quick. Uh, for the Sunshine State Sports Chamber, you can reach me at 415-340-4848, and the show ID is 834. You will talk to my producer, Breck. He screens all of my phone calls. And for the Walker Report, I'm the screener on that show. The show number is 512-543-4662. You guys can call in any time during the show. I don't mind taking phone calls in the beginning or the end of my show. Just call in, and I'll get you on the air, and we'll get we'll, we'll get to talking. All right, Bradley, I want to thank you so, so very much for joining us on Frankly Speaking Sports. I can't wait till we get some sports started up here, no matter which league it is. Uh, and then I'd love to have you back on where we can break down some of these games as well. I, I do appreciate that. Larry and I, you know, you're all more than welcome to come on both of my shows as well. We'll get, we'll get to talking and get some, uh, get some uh, co-op here going. That sounds good to me. Sounds terrific, buddy. Be safe. That was Bradley Lewis Walker, host of Sunshine State Sports Jammer and the Walker Report. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. Great, great interview. I'll tell you what, I've known Bradley now for a little while. I've been on his show. He's been on mine. Just a terrific guy. Lots of knowledge in the sports world. I love speaking to him. Every time I speak to him, you know, some we just have terrific topics. Just want to remind you tonight, very special show. Make sure you join us 9 p.m. Eastern on the Frankly Speaking Sports Group page as Ji-Ho Yu will join us to talk about Korean baseball and the effect it has had with the uh, epidemic COVID-19. We are just a few minutes away from talking to our good buddy and the host of the morning uh, show on ESPN Arkansas, Ty Richardson. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I'd like to introduce on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline. He's the host of the Morning Rush for ESPN Arkansas, and he's as well the program director. Please welcome Ty Richardson. Ty, how you doing? Larry, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for being on. Um, let me ask you a question. I know you do uh, the host of the morning show, and you also um, are the program director over the past couple months i mean it has to be different you know with no sports really going on until just recently it, it had to be a real difficult time for you hasn't it larry you're exactly right man it's definitely tested us here at espn arkansas um started doing the show in february and didn't anticipate this coming at all i i thought getting into sports radio my job would never be affected i thought there would always be sports little did i know that the coronavirus was on my doorstep, so just had to go about things a number of different ways, be creative with our daily show content, and just kind of uh, go from there. I feel like we've been doing a good job getting a bunch of formal Razorbacks, good, solid interviews, good content. We've had some news break during the show. 
uh, during the last couple of weeks. But I'm ready for sports back, just like I know you are. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yesterday some great news came down, and I know you're aware of it being an Arkansas fan, that uh, Heston Kirstead was named first-team All-American by collegiate baseball. I know it was an abbreviated season, but here's a guy who batted 448 in the abbreviated season. He already had six homers, 20 RBIs, was on his way to just having an amazing season. Um, Where do you see this guy's future leading? I see him being a probably top 10, top 15 draft pick. Now, I don't pretend to have just an extreme amount of knowledge in terms of baseball expertise, but most people, most mock drafts, Nashville, uh, he, uh, he's highly coveted by a number of different MLB organizations. Like you mentioned, you know, he was having an incredible year. Unfortunately, it was cut short because of the coronavirus. I wish you could, have seen, you could have seen what he could have done in his final season in Arkansas, but we didn't get to see, see the season in his entirety. I mean, the guy can hit, he can feel, he can do it all, and he is going to be a heck of a pro prospect. Yeah, absolutely. Now, on the flip of the coin, some ups- very upsetting news over the past weekend that Eddie Sutton, the legendary coach for um, Arkansas as well as Oklahoma State, Creighton, Kentucky, had passed away. Um, you know, I understand Nolan Richardson won a title here, but Eddie Sutton, you got to admit, Without Eddie Sutton building that foundation and what he's meant to Arkansas, without that, there probably is no any Nolan Richardson, is there? I don't know if Nolan wants or takes this job if Eddie Sutton doesn't lay the foundation, as you mentioned, Larry. Without that, I don't know if Arkansas gets a national championship. We've had uh, Jim Towns, former Razorback, Dr. Jim Towns, on this morning talking about that. We had... A former Arkansas assistant on yesterday, James Dickey, and they both kind of sent similar type of rhetoric that you're saying that if not for Eddie Sutton, Arkansas basketball might not look the same as it is today. Eddie Sutton did so many great things for the program. You think about the triplets, you think about the trip to the Final Four, they were robbed of another Final Four appearance in 79. They got hosed by the refs against Indiana State, Larry Bird, the phenomenal coach, and so many players speak highly of them. It seems like for good reason. I never got a chance to meet him, but it seems like from the, the different conversations I've had with former players, media members, coaches, that he was really an endearing number of different people during his life. Now, you know, we talk about basketball and the success Eddie Sutton had here, Nolan Richardson had here. Um, it looks like that the Arkansas Razorback basketball team is on its way to having another successful coach. I mean, the recruiting this uh, gentleman, Eric Musselman, has done over the past year. I mean, it seems like every day I hear Eric Musselman did this. Eric Musselman did that. Um, this team, basketball team, uh, has a lot of excitement around it going into next year about possibly being a top 10 team. Yeah, this is a team that we're really excited about. I think the, the top 10, top 15 conversation hinges on the decision of Isaiah Joe. But regardless, I think people are excited about the future of Razorback basketball. You think about the top five recruiting class according to ESPN bringing in Arkansas guys, Moses Moody, Devontae Davis, K.K. Robinson, Jalen Williams, the two incoming grad transfers, Vance Jackson, 
and Jalen Tate. People are really excited about the future of this basketball team, and I think if they had, they were inspired by the play this which Arkansas wasn't supremely talented this past season, and yet they gave far more talented than they were run for their money. I'm really excited about the future of Arkansas basketball, and I was in here today. Most fans feel the exact same. Oh yeah, I can't wait. You know, you know, I've been in uh, Florida for 36 years. Just moved here to Bentonville, and you know, actually the day that I'm here is the day that everything closed down. I was watching Arkansas versus Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament that night when everything went on with the NBA. So I cannot wait for basketball. But let's switch gears to football a little bit. Um, I'm talking to Ty Richardson, host of The Morning Rush and program director at ESPN Arkansas. Um, There's some excitement around this football team as well. You got a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. You got a guy who's going to be leading the team at quarterback in Felipe Franks, who I know very well from my days rooting for the Gators. I used to watch him play and go to games there. Um, what is your outlook for this football team this year? I think if you look at Arkansas football in 2020, I think that's measured by how many games you play. Play nine games, get any of the non-conference play all 12 I think that that 12 is one conference game, three non-conference. I and some of the others don't expect them to go down to South Bend and beat the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But I think three non-conference wins and a win over Missouri and Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, coincidentally, the other uh, teams in the conference that hired its coach, I think that is the avenue that Arkansas football is to see for a start. Don't win an SEC game or if you only win two non-conference I think you should be for it. You might think, oh, we're going down the same road that Chad Morris led Hopefully that's not the case with Sam Pittman. Hopefully get something going. But I think four games, solid expectation. Not too low, not too high for the Arkansas football program. Now, there's a lot of question on what's going to happen with college football. First of all, you know, first question comes whether, you know, the fans will be allowed back in the football stadiums. Uh, what is your perspective on whether fans should be or should not be allowed back this year if the season does play out? When it comes to attendance, and it's choice. If you pay for a ticket, you have the option to go, not to go, if you're given that choice. Now, if they limit capacity, that's a completely different conversation. I'm by no means a doctor. I've never been in the medical field, so I don't know as far as getting to that side of things, if I can correctly diagnose what the proper procedures if fans are allowed to stay. I'm hoping fans are allowed to stadium. I know the element of fans makes the game that much more enjoyable, whether you're attending or playing in the actual game. But I can't actually tell you so far out that. I mean, as we're doing this interview right now, Larry, it's May 27. We're not going to get started to football games end of August. Right. I think we lost Ty there. We'll try to get him back. Now, we got Ty back now uh, on the air. Yeah, Ty, you were answering the question about fans in the uh, stands. Yeah, I just it's so far out, man. It's May 27th. 
we have till the end of August. I don't know if I could give you an accurate uh, representation, even if it was a week away, because I'm not probably the guy to do that. But I'm just hoping for the atmosphere's sake and as well as safety measures taken and the athletes, the coaches, and staff members, are, uh, if it's okay for them, I'm hoping we see fans. But to be honest, man, it, it's, it's a uh, you're in a rock and a hard place right now. I don't know if I'm the guy to answer that question. No, and I completely understand that none of us are medical experts, at least, you know, that I know right now. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely... Now, before I let you go, um, Ty, um, why don't you just let people know, uh, because that, you know, I'm new to the Arkansas area and everything. Everywhere I go in this state, it seems like, Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas. I see a license plate. I see uh, stickers. I see shirts. I see hats. Everybody's an Arkansas fan around this state. What is it about this team, and I'm talking in all sports, that just creates this aura around this state? Well, Larry, you're from Florida, so you have the Gators, you have the Seminoles, you have the Hurricanes, you have the Dolphins. You have the Marlins, there's the Rays. There's so many different teams within that state, both professionally and college. Really, in Arkansas, there's one team that the majority falls. Now, there are some pockets inside the state that cheer for, let's say, Arkansas State or UCA, but most of those fans are still Razorback fans. So you don't have that same type of camaraderie within any other SEC state because of the professional sports, sports that are there and the other big-time college programs that are there. So that's what makes Arkansas so unique. And when you when you say you're playing for the state, you really are playing for the state. And that's why I think Arkansas needs to be a better job recruiting is the competition level that these kids are competing with in their own state. You really don't have any competition for eyes for sports fans. If you're a popular sports icon for the Arkansas Razorbacks, you're going to get recognized. People are going to notice you in grocery stores gas stations, bars, restaurants, it doesn't matter. And I don't think you can say the same thing for other players inside not only SEC programs, but college football in general across the board. Oh, I definitely, yeah. I, I noticed that there's nothing, you know, as far as professional teams here, obviously. Um, Ty, I want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule today and joining us on Frankly Speaking Sports. Yeah, let, let's hope so, my friend. It'll give us at least something to talk about. <laughs> Amen, man. We can uh, force back. All right, be safe, buddy. Thank you. That was Ty Richardson, host of the Morning Rush and program director at ESPN Arkansas. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. God, what what two terrific interviews we had today. Uh, first one with Bradley Lewis Walker, and then just now with Ty Richardson. I know he was having some technical difficulty on his end. I'm not sure where he was calling from, but some great, great information from both individuals. Want to remind you tonight, very special presentation of Frankly Speaking Sports. Uh, we're going to have uh, 
Jiho Yu, who covers Korean baseball, will be joining us live. That's 9 p.m. Eastern time on our Frankly Speaking sports page. If you're not a member, go ahead and join now, and we will accept the invitation, and you will be able to listen to that live audio event. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. And I want to remind you, all of our interviews, just like the one we did with Bradley Lewis Walker and Ty Richardson today, will be on our YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking Sports. You go to YouTube, ask to subscribe, it is free, and you're a member of our YouTube page. Um, want to remind you tomorrow, we do have uh, some very special guests with us. Zach Berman, who covers the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, will be joining us, as well as national columnist for USA Today, Dan Wolken, will also be joining us. So definitely another terrific show planned for tomorrow. I want to thank everybody for listening to us today. Everybody have a great day and hopefully we'll see you again tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports.